Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you. My name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, just, you know, I just want to make something clear. Party in the Park is not intended to be a singles mixer. I don't know <laughs> why, why you said that, but um, <laughs> it's not what it's intended for. Uh, however, if you happen to be single and you go there and you meet somebody, we're okay with that. Uh, I do marriages all the time. We can make that happen. Just want to put that disclaimer out there, though, that you're not walking into something really weird, okay? Yes, as Kristen mentioned, uh, we are back in our Acts series. And, um, you know, I've said this many times before, but I want to say it again because I think it's worth repeating. But we are all a product of our past. All of us have this history that goes back decades. Some of us uh, maybe more than others, but we had d- decades of a, of a past of experiences and people that have shaped us into the people that we have become today. And now some of those experiences and some of those people have been really positive and good, and some of them, well, not so much, but all of them ha- have shaped us and influenced, influenced the steps that we have taken into our future Uh, to get us where we are today. And at its worst, I realize that this reality of being a product of our past can be destructive, right? We all have people and experiences that have intentionally or unintentionally caused harm in our lives. But at its best, it can also be life-changing. When a person's life crosses paths with someone who is for them, who sees God's gifting in their lives and seeks to serve them in the ways that show love and compassion, it can change the course of a person's life for the better. In fact, all of this, all of us in this room have a person or people or experiences, especially people who did just that for us. You see, we're here today in this room at this church because uh, we all have people in our lives who are for us who at some point in our lives saw something in us, saw God's gifting in our lives, who decided to serve us in the same ways that Jesus has served them, to show love and compassion for us. Maybe it was a parent or another family member. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a church leader. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a coworker. Maybe it was a neighbor. Maybe it was even a stranger. All of us are here because someone made a point to see more than just flesh and bones in us. And so as we enter into the book of Acts again today, I'm reminded that we, the church, are the beneficiary of thousands of years of this happening. The church is a compilation of people whose lives have been changed by the love and compassion of Jesus through the interaction of other people in their lives. Someone crossed their path, saw gifting in them, saw um, Jesus' love for them, served them, shared the love and compassion of Jesus with them, and because of that, it changed the course of your life. And as we will see today, I believe, God believes, that that legacy of the church cannot stop with us. So, with that in mind, I want you to grab your phone if you haven't done so yet. Uh, open up the YouVersion Bible app. You can go to more and then events, and you'll be able to follow along with everything I'm going to read and cover today. You can take notes in there. If you're in a group, there's discussion questions there. It's a great resource. 
go get it. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, and we're going to be starting in verse 44. Now, just a quick recap, okay, of where we've been up to this point in the chapter, in chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas have been traveling throughout the Roman Empire, and they end up in Antioch of Pisidia, which is in modern-day Turkey, just to give you some context. Now, prior to our passage this week, they go to a local synagogue, which was customary for them. They're Jewish men. Yes, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, but they're still Jewish men. And so they go to the synagogue as they would on the Sabbath. And while they're there, they're recognized as teachers or religious leaders of some kind. And so they're invited to share a word and an encouragement to those who are there among them. And so what do they do? They tell them about Jesus. And and it stirs up some controversy. But more than anything, people are really interested in what they have to say. And so as a result, when we get to verse 44, we see that they go back again. And here's what we'll read, starting in verse 44. It says, the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But then some of the Jews saw the crowds. They were jealous. So they slandered Paul, and they argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we're going to offer it to the Gentiles. Which, by the way, if you're not familiar with the word, it just simply means those who are not Jewish. Verse 47, for the Lord gave us this command when he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women. I'm not sure why the women get called out on this. I'm sorry about that, ladies. They stir them up and the leaders of the city and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. This happens a lot, by the way. The apostles go to a city, they tell people about Jesus, people get excited, the Jewish leaders get jealous and they run them out of town. Verse 51, so they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium and the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now here, I say this all the time. In order for us to best understand the New Testament, which Acts is a part of, and especially the book of Acts and the Gospels, you have to have a fairly elementary understanding of the entire story of God starting in Genesis chapter 1. You have to understand that the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament when it comes to understanding God's redemptive story in history. I mean, you can get the gist of what God is up to in the church if you just read the book of Acts or read the book of John. But when we better understand what God has been doing throughout history in time and space, especially since sin entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, it gives us a clearer picture of what he's continuing to do in our time right here in 2023 in the 21st century, which is ultimately what we all want, right? Like, we, 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 we didn't come here just to have a history lesson. I, you, I'm not very good at that anyway. So if you came here for that, you came to the wrong place. We came here because we want to know what God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. Even if you aren't fully sure if God is real or you're not sure if you want to follow Jesus, it's my guess that you still want to know what God is all about and what he wants to accomplish in the world. Just a quick side note, 
This is exactly why I talk about the importance of reading your Bible every day. Because if you don't understand the entire story of God's Bible, the, what's written and recorded in history, when we come to passages like Acts chapter 13, verses 40 through, 44 through 52, we won't quite, quite get it. We've got to read it all. Yes, even those books, you've got to read it all. Yes, Leviticus. Yes, Numbers. You got to read it all. It all in context makes sense when you understand what God is doing in history. What Paul and Barnabas are doing in Antioch of Pisidia only makes sense if you understand the thousands of years of history God has orchestrated up to this moment. In particular, it only makes sense if you understand the call put on the life of a guy named Abraham and the particular prophecies of another guy in the Old Testament named Isaiah. So let's start with Abraham. Because if we want to understand what Paul and Barnabas are up to here, we got to understand what God was up to in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God does something a little unexpected. He makes a move to establish a nation of people who will best represent and example his love and compassion to the nations of the world. And eventually, they would become the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. But before that happens, they're just a ragtag tribe of people who are led by a guy named Abraham. Here's how God calls Abraham to be the beginning of this redemptive story in history through a nation of people. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, the Lord had said to Abram, which he would later be called Abraham, so we'll just call him that for simplicity's sake, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This moment in history would set into motion God's purposeful push to redeem a broken, sinful humanity. Through Abraham, a nation would be established for the sole purpose of being a blessing to the world, not to itself to the world, to reach all of the families on earth with the love and the redemption of God. But, and there's a but, as things often happen with humans, things don't quite go as planned. The descendants of Abraham stray from God's call in their lives time and time again. Generation after generation passes by and they fall into sin deeper and deeper and deeper. And yet, but because of God's grace, he just keeps pursuing them. He never gives up on them. From Exodus to Judges to First and Second Kings, God is continuously pursuing and connect, correcting and shaping and calling the nation of Israel to be what he intended them to be in Genesis chapter 12, a blessing to the nations that all the families of earth would know who he is and they would be redeemed by him. 
and so loving and gracious is he in this pursuit that he would send prophet after prophet after prophet to warn and call the people of Israel back to the original call and promise that he gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Prophets like Isaiah. Now Isaiah is maybe the most quoted prophet in all of the Old Testament primarily because of his new, numerous statements about the coming Messiah, Jesus himself. And in one particular place, God speaks through Isaiah to the nation of Israel, reminding them, this is who you are. This is what Jesus intends to do through his life, death, and resurrection. When Jesus comes, he comes to remind you that you have been called to be a blessing to the nations for all families on this earth. And this is what he says through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And he's speaking about Jesus specifically. And he says this in Isaiah 49.6. He says, he says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, Paul, in the passage we read today, quotes this very scripture. He says to those who are listening, which by this point has to be thousands of people, he says this very thing to them. He says to the Jewish leaders, he's like, listen, you don't want this, so I'm going to do what God has called us to do and to be a blessing to all of the nations, regardless of how you might feel about it. If you fast forward hundreds of years from when Isaiah says this to Paul and Barnabas in Antioch of Pisidia, and you can, you can then see the call of Abraham, the history of Israel, and the prophecy of Isaiah in full display as he talks to those who are listening that day. In these words, Paul affirms the original intent of God's plan for salvation in the world. It began with the Jews and the nation of Israel, but it was never intended to stop there. Look at what Isaiah 49.6 says. It says, you'll do more than restore the people of Israel to me. Yes, that's going to be part of it, but that's not the end goal. Restoration of my people is not the end goal. It is just the means to a greater end, he says. I want you to be a light to the nations. I'm going to restore you and redeem you, not for yourselves, but for the world around you and Paul and Barnabas are physically, tangibly putting this on display. They are saying to this group of Jews, Gentiles, listen, we have been restored. We have been redeemed, not for ourselves, but to be a light to this world, to bring the nations together, to bring salvation, he says, to the farthest corners of the earth. You know, what's interesting about the prophecy that Isaiah gives in chapter 49, verse 6, is that originally it was intended for Jesus, right? These are words about Jesus. But Paul says these words as if they were for him, right? So, you know, Isaiah says, he's speaking of, of Jesus. He says, you're going to do more than restore the people of Israel. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. But then when Paul quotes it in verse 47, he says, for the Lord gave us this command. When he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. It seems a little presumptuous maybe of Paul. Like, this is mine now, right? This is the prophecy about me. 
But see, Paul understands something about God's redemptive plan. That Jesus didn't just come for himself, he came for all people. And he has now called this ragtag group of sinful people who have come into a redemptive relationship with him. And he said, now this prophecy is yours. This isn't just about me. This is about you. You see the flow of God's redemptive salvific plan in the world. It starts with Abraham. It was passed on to Israel. It was confirmed through the prophets. It was fulfilled in Jesus. And now, Paul examples it is given to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That prophecy in Isaiah 49, 6, guess what? It's yours. And it's mine. Paul and Barnabas started in the synagogue and then they moved out into the streets to tell anyone and anybody who wanted to hear. They recognized we are the recipients of what God has been doing since the beginning of time and are now fully aware that we have been called to a mission in the same way that Abraham was in Genesis chapter 12, in the same way that Israel was in the books of Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus, in this in Deuteronomy, in the same way that Jesus was previously, we are now called. And I want to be really clear about something. The faith that we have in Jesus came to us because this call to bring salvation to the ends of the earth has been lived out by millions and millions and millions before us. We as Genesis Church do not exist if it's not for people who have gone before us and said, Isaiah 49, 6, that's my prophecy. That's our prophecy. Jesus has called us to a new thing, to go to the farthest corners of the earth and bring salvation to those who will listen to it. We are the recipients of the call of faith and mission that began with Abraham, continued with Israel, was fulfilled in Jesus, and was carried on by people like Paul. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we stand here in the 21st century, and we got our phones, and we got all this stuff, and we're connected to the world, and yet we are connected to a deeper story than we may ever realize. You have been called into something that has been in creation since the beginning of time. And here's why Paul can say all of this and why Paul can say about Isaiah 49, 6, look, this is my command now. He, see, he, can rec he recognizes that his faith, it's not for him. It's not for him. Now, certainly, it benefited him in a myriad of ways, and he talks about that. But he knew that this faith that he had in Jesus Christ was only a starting point to continue to carry out the mission of God in the world. His faith attached him to God's redemption throughout history. And Paul decided in that moment, this is not going to end with me. He didn't read Isaiah 49, 6 and well, that couldn't possibly be for me. That's got to be for somebody else. That's got to be for the pastor. That's got to be for the religious elite. That's not for me. That only has to be true for Jesus. Praise God that Jesus came and did this for us, but it can't be about me. He read Isaiah 49, and six, 49 verse 6 and said, if it were true for Jesus, then it has to be true for me. If Jesus was called to be a light to the nations and bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth, well, then it has to be true for me as well. Paul read Isaiah 46.9 and focused on two words. He focused first on the word made, 
And the second word, being. The verse says that God has made us into a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the world. In other words, those who follow Jesus are being made into people who are light to those who are caught in the darkness. And we are being moved to bring good news to the farthest corners of this earth, to people who have yet to know it and receive it. And you know, in all of his study and all of his reflection, which Paul did way more than any of us in this room will ever do, this is where Paul landed on who he was and what he was to do with his life. All of his study and all of his reflection on the Old Testament, when Jesus did, he realized, oh, this faith isn't mine. It's, the end is not that I believe in Jesus. The, this is just a means to a greater end, that I would be a light to the world around us. And guess what? If all of that was true for Paul, then it has to be true for us. We, like Paul, are the recipients, the beneficiaries of all that God has done and is doing in history. Our faith can't possibly be just for us because if the call on Abraham and Israel and Jesus and Paul was to be a light to the nations, well, then that has to be our call as well. We are just the continuation of God's story that began in Genesis chapter 12 and will go on in history until Jesus comes again. In fact, the entire book of Acts, the entire book of Acts is the telling of how the church, God's people, continued the mission of God in the world through faith in Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And we read it today. Man, thousands of years later, on another side of the world, and we say the same thing Paul did. What we have is not our own. What we have is not our own. Now, some of you don't like this. You know, we like to have, you know, we like to think that this is all about us, right? I mean, I'm guilty of that. I like knowing that things are about me. But our faith is, is not about me. I mean, yeah, we are the beneficiaries of faith in Jesus, but we do not exist for ourselves, we never have, we never will. And when we decide that we do, things start to get really ugly in the church. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, some of you are like, oh yeah. Been there, done that. You know what we start to do? We start to play church. Have you ever played church? I hate playing church. You know when you were a kid and you'd like play like kitchen or play like cops and robbers or whatever and you pretend like, oh, this is fun. And then you would go into your regular life and it had nothing to do with what you just did. That's playing church. When we come and we sing the song and we smile, we shake hands, we eat the cinnamon rolls and we drink the coffee and we go and then we leave and everything that happens in our life outside of this room has nothing to do with what we just did here. We are not going to play church here. So if you want to play church, I'm just going to tell you right now, my guess is you can probably go to churches around the valley and find one that will play with you. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. So, where the heck am I? Everything that we do is a means to a greater end. 
Certainly when you come to Genesis on a Sunday or join your group during the week or open your Bible in the morning, God's Spirit's going to fill you. Maybe you've experienced that this morning. But do you know why? Do you know why God's Spirit fills you? Do you know why God wants you to figure out how to walk in step with Jesus? Do you know why God wants you to figure out how to manage your finances? Do you know why God wants you to figure out how to be the kind of parent that God wants you to be? Do you know why these things exist? Not for you. For the good of the nations. For the good of the world. It's going to benefit you, I promise you. But its purpose is not for you. And then when we start to think backwards like that, my guess is Paul is screaming from heaven, stop it! Stop! I mean, what we have, it's not our own. This faith in Jesus has been given us and is beautiful, but Jesus is saying it wasn't intended for you to just hoard and hold on to. It's intended for you to go and to spread that same love and compassion that you've experienced in the world. In God's kingdom, our faith is to be seen as a means to a greater end. So I want to say something that's been really heavy on my heart the last three to six months. Really heavy on my heart. It is something that I've thought about and I have been committed to for years. But as I consider what Paul is doing here, I recognize that, man, my faith is not my own. It is a means to an end for something greater than me. When I read the words that Paul speaks in Acts chapter 13, here is what God spells out to me. Here's what God has been speaking to me this week and in the weeks leading up to this. It reads a little differently in my mind. Specifically, it's a little more specific. Here's how it reads. I made you, Genesis Church, to be a light to the next generation. To bring salvation to the farthest corners of their lives, schools, and families. Let me read that again. Because it's specific. Paul's speaking generically, but this is specific. I made you to be a light to the next generation to bring salvation to the farthest corners of their lives, schools, and families. Got awfully quiet in this room. I'm not sure why. Now, I know we talk about the next generation at this church, and I'm grateful that we have a church that cares and wants to see our kids and our teenagers and our young adults know and love Jesus, but I also believe that we have only scratched the surface on this that we have only seen the tip of the iceberg of what we can do collectively to reach and invite the next generation into a life-saving relationship with Jesus. I have three teenagers. My daughter just turned 15 this week, so I'll keep you posted on the driving stuff. Sorry, Salo. <laughs> I listen to their stories about school and friends and sports and work and entertainment and music and words I've never heard. <laughs> and, you know, there's no judgment at our table, which at times is hard as a parent to allow. But, but we've established, you look, you can say whatever you want at this table. And they're free to say what they want. And sometimes they say things I don't want to hear, but that's okay. Which leads to some really interesting conversations, parents. You know, I'm so grateful for their willingness to talk and share their lives. 
And as a result, as I listen to them, I find myself becoming increasingly more passionate for us to be a church that loves their generation and invites them and empowers them every single time we chat. Because the vast majority of their friends and their teammates and fellow workers have very little attachment to faith, love, and even family. We have had friends of theirs over to our house as we sit around the table and eat. And that is the first time in years that they sat around the table and ate with a family. Now listen, I'm not saying that we've got it all figured out as a family. But these are signals in my mind that God is calling, I think, calling us, I think, as a church to something deeper. Something deeper. Because here's the thing. Uh, the next generation has been referred to as the open generation, which is really exciting because they're actually really open to conversations about things like Jesus. Many of them have grown up outside of the church. They don't know much about Jesus. But the also stark reality is that the non-religious group of people in our next generation is growing exponentially. We call them the nuns, not that kind of nun, not the Catholic nun, the N-O-N-E nuns. In other words, when they take a survey and they say, what is your religious affiliation? Most of them, a lot of them check none, which leaves them open to a lot of conversations. But church, listen to me. We are not winning this battle. We aren't. And teenagers, kids, I see you. I see you down here. I'm sorry for that. Yeah. I'm sorry for that, but we, got, we have to figure this out because if we want to be what Isaiah 49.6 says, we're going to lose out if we don't reach the next generation. It's going to end with us. And I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. I am not okay with that. Robert's not okay with that. Thank you, sir. The rest of you seem to be. I'm not okay with that. Are you okay with that? No. Heck no. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to get you fired up as much as I am. It makes me wonder, do we, and I'm going to speak to those of us who are older, part of other generations, which I am one of, do we even realize what is going on? Or has our faith become our own? Have we made this about us? Have we, without even knowing it, become our own worst enemies in fulfilling the mission of God to reach the next generation? I was reading the book of Judges this last month, and I can't remember the chapter exactly, but all this stuff is happening, and, you know, and then it says at the beginning of one of the chapters, it says, and then that generation died off, and the next generation didn't know God. And it just pierces my heart to think, is our generation going to die off? Thank you. boy, <laughs> Love it. Thank you for listening, buddy. Thank you. Are we going to die off and it's going to end with us? Now listen, look, I, look I, I believe God is. He's not scared of any of this. He's not nervous. But I do believe he's calling us to something deeper. And I think that for those of us who are of older generations, who are looking at the Gen Z and the Gen Alpha generations, we have a mission on our plates to start to Give 
and resource and serve and do whatever is possible, even if it's so uncomfortable, we don't know what's going on, which is nine times out of 10, my experience at my table. I'm so uncomfortable. I have no idea what's going on. And yet I'm there. I'm just there. And I love my kids and I love their friends and I will be there for them. And even if I don't understand, I'll ask them why. Why do you say that? I don't understand it, but I love that you do and I love you. Will that be our story? in 10 to 15, 20 years? Or will we look around and go, where all the kids go? Where all the families go? Listen, you guys, man, I'm not even close to done. Are you all right with that today? Some of you, I got lunch, too bad. All right. Here's the deal. Um, I am the product of people who, when I was a teenager, said, I see gifts in you, and I'm going to pour into you. I had parents who sat around the table and talked with me, encouraged me, challenged me. I had mentors in my life. I had people in my youth group who said, listen, you know how to play guitar? You can come up on stage and play guitar. You know how to act? You can come up and do dramas. Remember dramas? Remember that? We'd do dramas. Man, they were cheesy, but it was fun. I was invited to be a part of what was going on. I was asked to be an intern when I was 19 years old and our senior pastor in a large church gave me a sermon and said, preach this on a Sunday morning. And so a 19-year-old, maybe I was 20, I don't remember. It was a long time ago. I stood up and I preached a sermon that he had written. And I have no idea why he would do that. Sorry, kids, I don't know that I would let you do that, okay? I'm just being honest. <laughs> It wasn't great, but he let me do that. I'm telling you right now, if it's not for my parents and the people that interacted in my life who poured into me when I was a teenager, I would not be standing here right now. Now, I'm not saying that every teenager in this room is going to become a pastor full-time in a church, but every single one of them has the gifts to be a disciple in the world, to be a missionary in the world wherever God might send them. And we are the church have been called to raise them up and empower them to do that. I realize not everyone has the same story as me, but I believe that every kid that comes to this church, every teenager that comes to this church, every young adult that comes to this church, every family that comes to this church can have the opportunity to have that same story. So God has given me this incredible, isn't this a cool shirt, by the way? This is our youth group shirt. And so that's a break dancer for those of you who are over 40. He is break dancing, okay? Uh, I wore this. Representing, Jackson. You, buddy. Yeah, representing. Here's what I'm asking you guys to do. Look, I, I think there's lots more to come. We're talking about this as a staff. How do we continue to be a church that doesn't just talk about the next generation, that doesn't just have a cool sign out there and shows up on Wednesday nights, but is actually intentionally empowering and lifting up and teaching and, 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 and giving and empowering the gifts of these kids and these teenagers and these families to, to really make a difference in the world? So here's what I'm asking you to do, church, right now. I am asking you to pray for the next generation. That's where I'm asking us to start. Let's pray. Let us pray until we can't pray anymore. Every day this week, I want you to pray for the kids and the teenagers and the young adults in this very community. Those who are inside the church, those who are outside the church, I'm asking you to pray that God give you a burning passion 
to, for them to know and experience the love that God offers through Jesus. You know, every Wednesday night, we have 40 to 50 teenagers gather in this room for AMP. We've got incredible leaders. Right now, there's 30 to 40 kids in our Genesis Kids area. They're having an incredible Sunday experience. Pray for them. Stop praying for your share in the market and start praying for the kids who don't know Jesus. Can we start there? Pray for their schools, for their families. Pray for their leaders at AMP in our kids' area. Pray for the homes in this surrounding community. Pray for the marriages that are just holding on. Pray for the families that have been split apart by divorce. Pray for a new foundation to be established in the homes around us, the foundation set upon Jesus. Pray for the kids, teens, and young adults in your lives. Your kids, your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, pray that Jesus would become so real to them they wouldn't know anything else but to be a missionary in the world. And pray that we, this church, this community, would become a light to the next generation. And don't stop praying. Because what we have is not our own, friends. It is a means to a greater end. We have an incredible opportunity to reach a generation that's open to faith and to Jesus. And if we do it collectively, if we come together and we say, we will give of our, our, we'll give our offerings, we'll give our time, we'll give our resources to see the next generation know Jesus, man, I can only imagine what God would want to do in this space. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you brought us here this morning. <clears throat> God, thank you that you have called us together the beneficiaries of the story of redemption and history for hundreds of years, thousands of years. We are here because someone invested in us. Somebody said something to us. Somebody exampled the love of Jesus to us. May that not end with us today. May we see the importance of reaching the next generation with Jesus, for Jesus. May we see the importance of pouring into that next generation, not dismissing them or ignoring them, but loving them and, and lifting them up. I pray for the kids and the teenagers in this room right now who have so much to offer this church, who have so much to offer your kingdom. May they be inspired. May they be empowered. May we be willing to give them opportunities to not just call this the place that they go to, but the place that they belong to. Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you exampled for us the care and love for the next generation. And when the disciples tried to get rid of the kids, you said, ah, let them come to me. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.